Welcome to Let's Open the Bible, where our goal is to open the Bible and look at what it says. For the next few minutes, we will be looking at a passage from one book. We will continue weekly until we finish that book. I'm Tom Nordstrom, and with me is Bill, Casey, and Nate. Welcome to Let's Open the Bible. This is episode number four of season two. We're in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter three, verses one through 13. And so like usual, Bill is going to read the text, and then we will have some open roundtable discussion of what we have just read. Okay, Ephesians chapter three, verses one to 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Okay, Paul makes mention here of the mystery. That's mentioned a few times in here. And um, he says this mystery uh, has, uh, um, um, what am I looking for here now? It was not made known in other generations, in times past, Uh, This mystery was not known, but now it has been revealed. And in verse 6, he gets specific. Uh, The Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. Uh, The Gentiles have been been made uh, welcome to come to God, and we talked about that in our last uh, last podcast. And uh, Paul is going into more of this now. He calls it a mystery. Uh, The people didn't understand this. The Jews did not understand uh, that the Gentiles were welcome to God, and, and we touched on this before. Uh, to the Jews, it was just us. We are God's chosen people. The Gentiles are out. And uh, this mystery was uh, God's plan to bring the Gentiles in and make them welcome. And uh, God had this plan in mind from the very beginning. Uh, he just didn't let this be known very much. The Old Testament 
Uh, the Old Testament touches very briefly on these ideas, and the Jews didn't really get that idea at all. They thought it was exclu- uh, excuse me, exclusively us forever and ever. But now the Gentiles are welcome to come to God. Does anybody else want to comment on that? And I mean, this would have been a mystery to a lot of people. Like I said earlier, it's kind of a, I guess, a shocking moment, especially for the Jews. Um, they have been in odds for the Gentiles for pretty much their whole lives, their families' whole lives, their grandparents' whole lives, and now um, they are all fellow heirs, it says, of the same promise. And so this was unknown to all these people, and now Paul, through Jesus, is uh, making known this mystery, or revealing the mystery that was once uh, not known to these people. We've mentioned it before in the book of Ephesians, but... This passage really shows the significance of the church. Um, and whenever we think church, we think that little white building you go to on the corner, you know, ever, you know, sometimes on Sundays or, but the church is so, so, so significant. Um, and the word church actually means the called out. It's a group of people. Um, and this passage shows the um, eternal plan that God had for the church. It's not just a little white building you go to, but it is something that was in the mind of God, a group of people, and an institution, an establishment that was in the mind of God uh, for eternity. Um, and it was carried out in Jesus. And this is one of the most fascinating passages to me that the church shows God's wisdom in a way that nothing else does. So whenever you know God set up the temple and, and made the temple that didn't quite show God's wisdom like the church does. Whenever God, you know, flooded the world, that doesn't quite show God's wisdom and power like the church does. The God, the church, truly shows God's manifold or, or multi-layered wisdom. And what's cool to me is it shows it to the beings in the heavenly places. Um, in school, we had an instructor give kind of an illustration that if you can imagine all of these. Um, heavenly beings, angels, and and all of these rulers and authorities, as Ephesians calls it, these spiritual beings, imagine they're all sitting in a football arena or a big stadium, and they're all in these seats, and looking down, they can see, you know, down on the field, so to speak, they see the church, and they see our interactions, and they see the way that the church functions, and they're saying, wow, God is awesome. Uh, He has set up something truly amazing, and obviously that is not a literal um, illustration, but it's just a, a thought of an illustration of of what God did whenever he set up the church. He he made something and created something that these rulers and authorities and heavenly beings look at and say, wow, God, God is incredible. Um, and we get to be a part of it all the time. There's a stark contrast, and we talked about it in the last episode, between you know what these Gentiles were once and now what they're a part of. Um, and so Paul frequently hits on that. You know, they were once sojourners, they were once uh, strangers, they were once without God, and now they're a part of this, like part of God's plan, like a part of what he had planned from the very beginning. Um, there's a lot of people out there that like think the church is just kind of an afterthought of God, but there's no way when you read scripture you come to that conclusion. Um, it was very planned. Um, this was God's plan all along, and we're part of it. As Christians, we are part of that body, uh, as Ephesians calls it, uh, part of the church. And so 
It's not just an afterthought or a second option for God. Uh, this is what he had planned all along. I'd like to comment on some things that Nate said uh, about the importance of the church. Uh, let's not underestimate how important the church is. I mean, it's huge. It's part of God's eternal purpose. And it, it's something that, as Nate said, the heavenly beings are saying, wow, God is a wise God. God knows what he's doing. Look at what he has done. And uh, I think one reason... Today, people downplay the importance of church because they're seeing something that is not part of God's eternal purpose. A lot of people have the idea that nowadays church is just all about money. You see it on television. You, you see these, these TV evangelists, and they're talking about how you need to send in your money, and, uh, and they get the impression that church is all about money. And, and people get other impressions. And uh, sometimes people build a really, really fancy building, and it's just very decorated, very expensive, and that's what they think of as a church. But none of that really fits into the biblical plan for the church. It's not a building, and it's, it's not about money. You just don't see the emphasis on money in the Bible that you see nowadays in a lot of religious circles. And so let's keep that in mind. Uh, the church, as we read about it in the Bible, is not necessarily what people see around them and what is called church uh, in our modern society. Uh, the pure concept of the church in the Bible is the people, and it's people living the Christian life, people who've come out of their sin, people who are Gentiles who are far away. And even Jewish people, some of the, the early Christians were Jewish people who had drifted far away from God. So it could be anybody. And these people were coming into salvation. They're coming into God's family. They once had no hope. They had nothing. And now they have everything. They have Christ Jesus, the one who came down from heaven, who died on the cross for their sins, and who now has a place prepared for them in heaven. And, and when you look at what the Bible teaches us about what the church is, that's the thing we need to focus on. This spiritual body of people uh, that now belong to God and, and all the wonderful things God has prepared for them. One thing that I've always thought about is people kind of have this criteria when they decide which church they're going to go to. Um, usually it's based on things that are out of preference and out of uh, their own personal desires. You know, how close is the building to their house? Uh, what congregation or group has a good youth program for my kids? Well, what congregation has a minister that I can... Um, relate to that I like and so those criteria that's not based on anything that's scriptural uh, when we see how important the church was to Jesus uh, we need to put a little more thought into the church that we attend and make sure that it aligns with the description of the church that we see that Jesus gives that God gives in his word growing up in the church I was always you know my th my experience of church was you go sit down and you sing a few songs and you you know wait for the sermon and you sit through the sermon and then you talk about where you're going to go for lunch. I mean that's church is is something you go to but the the emphasis in Ephesians and and I would say everywhere but specifically in Ephesians on why the church is so significant is it's about the people like Bill mentioned. Um and it's it's whenever your lives are intertwined with another person's life 
in other people's life, that is why the church is significant. It's not about we go and we, you know, sit next to each other and we sing a couple songs out of a songbook. That's not why the church is significant. The church is significant because God is bringing people together um, that would not be brought together if it wasn't for the church and doing godly things together. You know, something I think about, I think I've seen the significance of the church and how awesome the church is in a way that I never have before whenever I moved from Oklahoma to Denver to South Dakota and I'm meeting people from all over in the church. Um, and like, for example, I never would have met either of you guys, but I never would have met you guys if it wasn't for the church. I mean, Bill, born in what, the 30s? Uh, a little bit later I'm than kidding. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's you fine. know, born, born in South Dakota. I was born 100 miles away. 30 years later, we would have never, ever, ever crossed paths. But because Jesus died on the cross and he set up an institution, now I know 40 years later. <laughs> uh, but the, you get my point, where God brings people together in a way that we never would have crossed paths. And I've, I've seen that over and over, and I'm meeting incredible people from Florida and from just amazing what God has done with the church. That is why... The church is significant, and and that's something that I think about whenever we. It's easy to be critical of people in the church, and it's easy to, you know, say, "All right, your your you know song leading's off key." You're, it's so easy to. No, I'm not talking about you, Bill. It's easy to be critical, uh, but whenever we think about what God has done in the church, it gives me um, a a deeper appreciation for uh, the lives that we. Uh, can touch and are touched by from other Christians. I think about, you know, when I'm sitting there Sunday morning, obviously we're here in Huron, South Dakota. You know, the congregation here is a little small, uh, probably roughly about 20 members or 20 people on a Sunday morning. And you can be discouraged by that, but you also can think about all the other members of the body of Christ that are meeting at the same time, you know, uh, yet to account for time difference, whatever. But you think about the people that are, uh, are assembling in other countries and uh, other states uh, all at the same time worshiping God, and it helps you to appreciate the church. Uh, maybe the congregation you're at the where you assemble isn't a lot of people, and it can be discouraging, but just think about how big and how many members of the body of Christ there are worldwide that are doing the same thing you're doing on the first day of the week. Um, it helps you to, I guess, gain a little bit of encouragement from that. I want to comment further on this. Um, if we think of church as simply being a Sunday morning thing, you know, so when church comes into mind, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's Sunday morning. I've got to go for about an hour and sit there and sing songs and pray and listen to some guy speak. And that's church. A lot of people get turned off by that. And, and that's not the church as we see in the Bible. That's not what it's about. In, in the Bible... Being part of the church is uh, what you guys are saying. It's being part of a body. It's living the Christian life every day. Uh, it's not just Sunday morning. Every day I live for Jesus. Every day I'm growing. I'm praying to God. I'm reading the Bible. I'm, I'm putting God's word inside of my, my heart and my mind and, and living that Christian life. And when that is our focus, to live the Christian life, then getting together on Sunday morning makes sense. It gives us a focus. It's, it's a part of that whole. But if all we think about 
is just that hour on Sunday morning, there's really no significance to that outside of the Christian life. And people get turned off, they lose interest, and they, they'll say things like, well, what's the point? I'm not getting anything out of this. I just don't see any reason why I should go anymore. And when people say that, I think the biggest reason is uh, they've missed out on this idea that the Christian faith is an everyday thing. It's a lifestyle. And uh, our coming to church on Sunday morning is a small part of that bigger whole. Um, I just want to read a verse here. Uh, it really regards to everything we've been talking about. It's going to be Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 44 and 45. It says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. You know, when you think of the church, I don't think that's necessarily the description you first think of. Uh, people that care for one another, that help each other out, that divide things among themselves as anyone has need. Uh, but that should be the picture that we get. You know, we should be active in the community, helping others, um, seeking those who are looking for the truth. And if that's not the description that we can give ourselves, uh, we're not doing what the early church did. Um, man, I just think about this idea of being unified and helping each other out. And like, how often do we sit in the pews and, you know, we have this grudge against this person and this grudge against this person. And, you know, we have these disputes and, you know, we walk in Sunday morning but then we don't talk to these people that are sitting in the pews the rest of the week. We're not doing what the early church, what the church was designed by God to do. You know, we're not fellowshipping with one another. We're not being together and having the same mind and sharing with one another very personal things. Um, we're not doing what God has designed the church to do. Meeting together on Sundays is not um, the the primary focus. Well. Maybe I should uh, retract soul, that. Soul purpose. Yeah, it's not the only purpose of the church. Uh, it's something that because these people's lives were so intertwined and because they were all so focused on being a, with on that togetherness, like you said, Bill, worshiping together on Sunday was just the natural thing that happened. They just wanted to get together and worship because that's what God said to do. I think now, you know, 2,000 years later, I'm afraid that just making sure we're there Sunday to worship, that has become the sole purpose um and everything else is dropped like you're saying casey and you know we don't have to do anything else we don't have to check up throughout the week we're there on sunday and i'm you know i'm i'm a part of the church well are you being the church are you acting as those that call out people is your life about being a church or is your life about making sure you're there on sunday to say that you went to church so i'm afraid we've we've flip-flopped and we're not about being together we're not about living our lives together and then being together on Sunday. Rather, we are, let's make sure we're there on Sunday, and that's become the, the sole only thing that we do. And you can be the type of person that is faithful in attendance, and you know, they're, you're there uh, Sunday, Wednesday, whenever the doors open, but you can be so distant from the church and from what it's really supposed to meant to be. I mean, you could be there, you could listen, be involved with worship, but just not a part of what the church is actually about. Uh, I think the definition of church has shifted so far from what it is originally intended to mean. You know, the church is the people that called out, and yet now it's just the place that people gather to worship on the first day of the week, and that's it. And so the definition is really uh, taking a turn for the worse, really. It's not the church, the definition we see today is not what the Bible, what the early New Testament writers uh, wanted it to be, for sure. You know, I think uh, there's a danger 
in our modern-day American society. And, and that danger is we have it so good because of our, our wealthy, affluent society that we think we don't really need church anymore. Uh, we don't need God. And I've talked to people who've said things like that. I'm doing fine without God. And these people have a job, they have a house, they've got everything they want, and they think they don't need God. Uh, and uh, when people get into that kind of a mindset, it's easy for them to start thinking like, well, I don't really need church. I, I don't need any of this stuff. Uh, I don't need to be together with this group of people. I don't need them. Uh, when in fact we do, because there are spiritual needs that our modern-day society is not going to fulfill. And, and we need all of that. We, we need to grow spiritually. We need to pray to God. We need to read his word. And so uh, that's something that people can miss out on because they think they have everything they need in a wealthy society. And so we need to watch that as Americans. Uh, let's not forget about the spiritual things. And when we realize that, then we can focus on being part of the church, part of the body, and live the Christian life. And, and then going to church on Sunday will, will fit into its proper place. Yeah, I, I think church has become very uh, Americanized in our culture. Um, and it, it fits into, church fits into our lives rather than the church shapes who we are. Um, in the New Testament, that passage Casey read, the picture was you are, like your life is the church. You're, that's what you do. But now we, we go to work, we go to school, we have our hobbies, we, you know, but we make sure we're, if church fits in that Sunday, then we're there. But if it doesn't, then too bad. That is, and that couldn't be any more opposite of what uh, the Bible teaches about what the church is. And that, that goes right back to maybe this is why we have a hard time seeing the significance of the church and why this was this great mystery that was revealed. We're like, well, what, how is that a mystery that was revealed if we truly understood and uh, lived up to what the church was supposed to be we might grasp why it's so significant here in this passage that we're reading but if it just fits into our american culture we we see that it's this great mystery revealed and we're like yeah it doesn't i don't quite grasp that somewhere in scripture the church is referred to as the bride of christ um i don't know does anyone know the passage offhand i don't remember but it is referred to as the bride of christ right the church yes yes okay so there's an intimate relationship between a husband and a wife obviously in marriage and so the church is the bride of christ there is intimacy between us and god there is intimacy between us and jesus and us as individuals you know we are connected it's very personal and obviously it's not the same intimacy that you see in a marriage but the picture is the same there's an intimacy between us as individuals that are part of the church and also us, between us and Jesus and God. One thing I want to clarify is we're talking about how living as Christians, this is our life, this is what we do, it's, it's an everyday thing. And uh, I don't want anyone to get the impression that if we're going to live as Christians, we can't get involved with our society or our community in any way. That, that's not true at all. Uh, there's plenty of room for a Christian to get involved with his community, for example. Uh, he could go to community meetings where they discuss issues. Uh, he, could, he could become a coach with a youth program and get involved with things like that. Those are all okay. But uh, we do those things as Christians. First and foremost, we're Christians. And whatever we do in our communities, 
uh, we're doing them as Christians with, with a focus on being Christians as, as we help these people and, and be a positive part of our communities. And I don't <clears throat> also want anybody to get the wrong idea. You know, I feel like w- the things we've been saying have been kind of harsh on people, yeah. but like we don't have it all figured out either. Like we're we're figuring out how to be the church that the Bible describes, and like we're not perfect at it. But there are still things for us to learn, things for us to get better at. And so like we're we're essentially in the same boat you are. Like we're we are we're trying to make sure we figure out how to act like the church did and how the church should. And like we're not perfect. Um, and so don't feel like, you know, we're trying to uh, talk down on or degrade anyone that is listening right now. But uh, it is our obligation as Christians to act like the church should. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting that the the close of uh, this passage, he brings all this discussion about the church right back around to the fact that we can we can keep going and we cannot lose heart. Um, he's talking about his imprisonment, and he says in verse 13, after he discusses the church and the significance of it and the mystery of it, he says, Though, so don't lose heart um, in, in what I'm suffering for you. Paul's in prison right now. And that is the, that is the application of the church. Uh, it's not just, you know, we talk about how significant it is and important it is and how awesome it is. But the, what that looks like for us and the result that that can have on us is we cannot lose heart. It gives us something to put our stock in. It gives us something to put our faith in. It gives us something to, um, to keep us going. Uh, because if we think about how great the church is, man, that's something that should push us um, and keep us going. And we don't have to lose heart. And Paul's tying it directly to him being in prison, but it can apply to anything. Uh the church is amazing, and it's a huge reason that we cannot lose heart and we can keep pressing because it gives us a people to fall back on and a God to uh, it ties us to a God that is is faithful and therefore His church is faithful. Okay, I'd like to backtrack to something I said earlier, uh, not relating so much to the church, unless we have anything else we want to touch base no, on. We can, I think we're good on that. Okay, that horse to death. <laughs> All right. And we had a good discussion about the church. It was good stuff. Anyway, concerning this mystery uh, where the Gentiles are now welcome to come to God, Paul touches on this. And uh, we've talked about how the Jewish people didn't really understand that concept, that, that the Gentiles would be welcome to God. And it's interesting to see how this plays out. In Acts chapter 22, Paul is being arrested. Uh, the Jews uh, are practically rioting. Uh, they, they recognize Paul, and they, they think of Paul as someone who's done things against the Jewish nation. And, and so they're, they're having a riot, and the Romans step in, and, and it's a big deal. And then Paul requests permission from the Roman commander there to speak to the Jewish people who are there gathered there against him. And so he gives them permission, and it, it tells us at the beginning of chapter 22 uh, that Paul spoke in the Hebrew dialect, and the people became very quiet when they heard him speak in that language. And they, they listened to him talk about how he grew up and his way of life as a Jew. And, and then he went on and talked about how Jesus appeared to him. And 
the Jews did not believe in that. They did not believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, but they listened to him as he talked about this sort of thing. And he, he talked about how this Jesus spoke to him, and, and they listened to that even though they didn't believe that. But then at the end of his message, he makes mention of how Jesus spoke to him and said, uh, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And when he mentioned that, it set the Jews off in a rage. You read in the very next verse, it says, And they listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, and so on and so on. The Jews practically went into a riot over this idea that God would send one of these Jewish people to the Gentiles. Uh, they were not willing to accept the idea that the Gentiles were now welcome. But let's contrast that to uh, Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 10, God sends Peter to a Gentile named Cornelius. And, and Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius. And Cornelius believes it, his whole family, they believe, they're baptized. And at the beginning of this visit, Peter says to Cornelius, you know, you know how it's unlawful for a Jew to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that, that it's okay now because Peter had seen this vision that God gave him. And so Peter understood that Gentiles are welcome. But in Acts chapter 11, Peter goes back to where he was and in verses 2 and 3, uh, the circumcised believers, the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, took issue with him. In verse 3, they say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So these Jewish Christians at this moment still have the concept that the Gentiles are on the outside. We should not be associating with them. They're not welcome. But you read on in the next several verses, and, and Peter explains the whole story to them. He tells them about the vision he saw where God revealed to him that he should not call anyone unclean anymore. He told them about how he preached to Cornelius and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And finally, when he gets done, you read in verse 18, it says, And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. These Jewish people who had come to Jesus Christ were willing to accept God's plan of bringing in the Gentiles. They did not at all act like the Jews did in Acts chapter 22 where they were ready to riot over the idea that someone would go to the Gentiles. And so that's a, a good lesson for us today. Uh, we need to be accepting of people wherever they come from, uh, whatever their nationality is. There's no more a division, no more hostility. We come to Jesus Christ and we accept one another is all being welcome to God. And when we understand that concept, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's something where it, it should cause us to say, praise God for his wisdom and for his plan and, and for the fact that he loves all of mankind and we're all welcome to him. This is just to just very briefly continue what Bill just said. You know, in Acts chapter 11 that happens, but in Acts chapter 15... There is a conflict over circumcision, and there's people that say, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so there's going to be issues that arise because of this over and over and over again. And 
Paul and Ephesians would not address this issue unless it was still an issue. It was still hard for them to grasp, hard for them to understand. Um, and so it's something that is a continuing issue throughout the New Testament. And yet you see the things being resolved. Those who have come into Christ have, have God on their side in a sense. They, they realize that in Christ, we can work through these things and we can see things the way God wants us to see them. And, and so they, they, come, they finally come to an understanding that circumcision doesn't matter. It was once a really big deal, now it doesn't matter. Uh, it used to be that being a Gentile uh, put you on the outside. That was a big deal. Those people don't belong, but that doesn't matter anymore. God accepts everybody. And no longer is there anything physical like circumcision or anything else that should keep people out. Uh, it's, it's a spiritual thing. And it's, it's the person's heart and mind being given to Jesus Christ through faith and obedience. And, and when people come to that, uh, then they're welcome to God. And uh, so the people who came to Christ eventually came to an understanding of how all this was supposed to work. Praise God for that. God worked all of that out. All right. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. Same here. Okay. Well, we appreciate you listening. We've talked a lot about uh, the church and the family today and the, the awesomeness of uh, the togetherness of the church and what God has set up. Um, maybe you are in a place where you feel like you don't have uh, anybody that you belong to. You feel lonely. Um, and we want you to know that the church is somewhere that you belong um, and you can be here. And we will... Uh, take you in and wrap our arms around you and we want to be the group of people that uh, help you along and you can help us along maybe you're a christian and you're a part of the church and you're you're hearing this and it maybe gives you second thoughts and a deeper appreciation for the church um, and that's great maybe you again are hearing this and you want to get plugged into uh, something like this and again we invite you to uh, be with us and become not just sit next to us on Sundays and sing songs, but be friends and eat together and play games together and uh, be a part of our lives. Um, if that's you, please reach out to us because that's what we want more than anything. Um, so thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you on the thank next one. Thank you for one. joining Bye. us for today's episode of the Let's Open the Bible podcast. If you have any questions, want to talk about the next steps in your faith journey, or are interested in receiving our daily Bible verse which corresponds to the content of this podcast, feel free to reach out to openthebible2022 at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue our study together. Have a great day.